Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood, a retired submarine officer. I'm also a private pilot, martial artist, engineer, and a lifelong fan of science fiction and fantasy. I've written and published dozens of stories across the entire spectrum of speculative fiction. So sit back, let your mind wander through realms of adventure as I tell you a story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood back at you again with story time. It's a Sunday afternoon, the, what is it, the 8th of April, and I should be driving up to LA, but I'm not. I, uh, as I think I told you guys, I live in San Diego area, and uh, up in LA, every year, every quarter, I submit a story to the Writers of the Future contest, um, which is the biggest non-professional, non-professional as in pre professionally novelized publication through publishers uh, stories. You can't be a designated pro writer and, and uh, enter it. Only quote-unquote amateurs, which technically I am since I only have one sale to a professional outlet. Uh, anyway, that, that, uh, that's the biggest contest of that in the whole science fiction and fantasy world. And they have their awards gala, and that's happening tonight. And normally, I've, in the last several years, I tend to go up there, but man, the whole thought of driving and braving the LA traffic and all that kind of crap today when I got so much stuff I got to get done around here before I go back to work tomorrow. Uh, ah, yeah, I'm skipping out on it. They webcast it. I'll probably watch the webcast, but I feel a little bad about skipping out on it, but man, I got stuff to do. One of those things to do is to read you guys a story. Um, but first, we'll give you a little update on the Kingswood world. Uh, not a a lot of cool stuff's been happening. Not much writing in the last month. Got back from that workshop I told you guys about, and then I had to hit the books. Because uh, in my daytime civvy job, I'm a project manager. And uh, if you want to yeah, not leave money on the table, you got to go to the Project Management Institute and get certified as a project management professional. And I had the test for that scheduled on 21st of March. I went in, got back from the, got back from the workshop, with about two and a half weeks to go, I've been doing a prep course in addition to writing the short stories and reading the short stories all through late January and early February, and most of February. Uh, anyway, I hit the books real hard, did nothing but study, and I took the test, rocked it, and don't know exactly what the score is. They just tell you, hey, you were above the target for answers correct. So I'm officially a pro project management professional, PMP certified guy now. Yay! So well, I can parlay that into... Mo money at some point. Um, yeah, I'm happy with the, the gig I'm in and the, and the company I'm with right now. Um, but, you know, I'm sure that will, yeah, they, they say they're all kinds of proud of me. Maybe they'll show that uh, in some other ways down the road. But, you know, nothing's forever. And one way or another, might you go on someplace else in the future, and this will help get more cash. Because right now I'm not making much money from, from writing, and hence doing the uh, professional thing. That took up all of my efforts in March. So now I'm getting back into the writing uh, process, and as you know, when you reestablish habits that you've let drop off, is a little touch and go sometimes. So it's a slow start, but uh, I'm getting back into it. Got a lot of stuff to do for the rest of the year. Got to finish up uh, Warfare Qualified, my state's Navy book that I have 
teased my mailing list people and the website people with, and uh, I can get rolling on independent deployment, which will be the sequel to that. Yeah, I want to get another Gloomy Veil book out because I've got six of them. Want to get? I've got five of them. Want to get number six going, and uh, and of course, got to write writers stories for writers of the future every quarter, and other things that come up here and there. So a lot of stuff to do, and I uh, need to get back to it. But that's neither here nor there for this episode of the video and podcast. So today we're going to read a story called So You Want to Be a Dragon Slayer. I wrote this back in 2012, I think. Anyway, it's uh, it's not it's not a fantasy book, and even though it's a Dragon Slayer thing, it's sci-fi. Uh, it's a novelette, about 10,000 words, 10,500 words long. Um, the conceit is that uh, we've got Stargate travel technology, and in the process of exploring, we've discovered the planet around the star Alcor, which evolved these great big reptilian beasts. They called them, what, Reptosphalons, I think? Uh, i got to look it up. Anyway, and holy cow, they look just like dragons, and they fly like dragons. And so a company naturally started up, calling itself Dragon Safaris, that goes and takes... Uh, people, along with guides, to go onto Dragon. And I'm sure nothing could possibly go wrong with that, right? Uh, this one's a little longer. Like it says, about 10,500 words. Uh, there's don't really have any good place to break up inside it, though. So this video and podcast is going to be a little longer. I'll probably take a full hour. Uh, oh, well. Uh, we'll get it all done here in one spot, in one uh, go through, and hopefully you like it. I'll be back in just a minute with the story. Okay, we're back. Let's get going on this one. So you want to be a dragon slayer? By me. Do you want to be a dragon slayer? The advertisement was only a 15-second spot in a late-night time slot. I wouldn't have paid any attention to it at all, but the catchphrase caught my attention and called to the part of me that used to play role-playing games back when I was a kid. I gave up on that sort of thing a long time ago, replacing imagination with practicality as I settled into adult life, but part of me wished that those games I played back in the day could be true. So when I heard that phrase with the catching jingle behind it, I got sucked in. I had to see what that advertisement was all about. The corporate offices of Dragon Safaris Incorporated resided in a small building near the edge of downtown close enough to the big money companies to bask in their globe far enough out that the rent was probably almost reasonable. I convinced Vinny and Carl, my two last buds from high school, to come with me. All the other members of our old crew had shipped off to other places. Johnny to the Marines, Dave to work in the fuel refineries on Titan, and Steve... Well, Steve was still in town, but none of us knew where or really cared to. Word was he'd fallen in with a bad crowd and taken up drug smuggling or something. Poor guy. Anyway, the three of us paused in front of the office doors. Despite my curiosity and my eagerness, really, I felt hesitant to enter. What if it was just another stupid scam, some second-rate animatronics or something? I feel like real ass bringing my friends along for something like that. I almost turned and walked away. But then I heard that jingle in my head again, along with the phrase, and I found myself saying soundly, yes... Yes, I do want to be a dragon slayer. I walked inside before the thought finished going through my head. At first, I was underwhelmed. The reception area was nothing special. I've been in dozens of places just like it. Granted, none of those businesses had a logo as cool as the one Dragon Safaris had suspended behind the receptionist's desk. 
But that was hardly a surprise. How cool could a doctor's logo be without scaring off the patients? The receptionist perked up as we walked in and offered us the standard-issue customer service smile. Good afternoon. Welcome to Dragon Safari, she said. Do you have an appointment? I shook my head. Didn't know we needed one. She opened her mouth to reply, but I continued quickly before she could tell us to leave. We just have some questions about how this works. Do you have any documentation? Or the receptionist sniffed. I was just going to say, we have a presentation that covers frequently asked questions. First door on the left. She gestured down the hall, which departed the reception area to her right. I glanced at Vinnie and Carl. They both shrugged in acquiescence, so we headed down the hallway. The presentation room was small, set up like a theater with several lounge chairs facing a screen on the far wall. As we sat down, the lights dimmed and the video production started. First was a star field with a deep male voiceover. For centuries, mankind has told legends of the dragon. Powerful, majestic, mystical. The dragon was revered, worshipped, feared. The star field shifted, zooming in on a single star system. Legends tell of brave men who risked everything and battled the dragon to protect the helpless from its ravishing. A brilliant white star filled the display screen. Several smaller orbs revolved around it in clockwise orbits. The display tracked in on one of the planets in particular, the fifth in the system. It quickly grew in the picture until it dominated the display. Blue-green in color, with swirling clouds covering most of its surface, it was beautiful to look at. The picture zoomed in further. Other men throughout the ages longed to test themselves against these creatures of legend, but were unable to reach into myth to do so. The clouds rushed past as the camera descended into the planet's atmosphere. I noticed the lack of the re-entry plasma and sniffed. They could have at least gotten that right. The voiceover spoke again. Until now. The clouds parted and an ear-shattering roar came through over the speakers. A huge creature with webbed wings and a long serpentine neck flew overhead and dove through the camera's view toward the ground. Rolling and pitching downward to follow the creature, the image on the display tracked this descent toward a mountain peak far below. Reptus Volans. The great flying beasts of Alcor V rendered that world too dangerous to colonize. The beast landed atop the peak and, looking back up the camera, roared again, revealing a mouth filled with long, sharp teeth. But where the Colonial Allocation Committee saw failure, we at Dragon Safari see opportunity. The screen changed again, depicting a clean, laboratory-like room with a large metal ring mounted perpendicular to the center of the floor. Parts of the ring lit up and a vortex began to form in the center of the ring. The vortex grew larger and larger until it filled the ring completely. Then there was a brilliant flash of light. When the light faded, wooded terrain, clearly a different place than the room, could be seen through the ring. Using state-of-the-art space portal technology, Dragon Safari engineers can have you on Alcor 5 faster than you ever thought possible. There, skilled guides will lead you on a journey of legendary proportions as you track down and challenge a dragon in a flight to the death. A new image filled the screen. It showed a group of grinning men all dressed in some kind of armor plating and carrying fancy-looking rifles, posing before a dead beast that was obviously the same species as the one from earlier in the video. Dragon Safaris is a full selection of weapons and protective gear specifically for this adventure. A panning video moved through what was clearly an armory. Breastplates, helmets, leg and arm protectors, and gauntlets hung from racks. Then the video moved through a doorway to another room. Every corner of the room had a weapon of some sort. The modern hunter is his choice of top-shelf projectile or plasma weapons, but for the more adventurous customer, we have a more classical selection. The video moved through another doorway. The next fruit in the room was filled with bows, spears, swords, and axes. My jaw fell open. Are you ready? 
the video returned to the earlier clip of the beast sitting atop the peak, roaring. Are you worthy? Then the screen went black, and the lights came back up. I have to admit, I was stunned. Oh, I had heard that Alcor 5 wasn't to be colonized because of dangerous wildlife, but I never heard anything more specific. Or I seen any of the pictures of the creatures. It was amazing! Those things could have been transported directly out of the old swords and sorcery stories or out of my role-playing games. Oh, I had to do this. Oh, hell yeah, Vinny said. I turned to look back at him and returned his ear-to-ear -ear grin with one of my own. The earliest appointment we could get was a week later. That week seemed to drag. Every day at work, I was distracted by thoughts of the adventure ahead. Every night, I broke out my old role-playing game books, which I long ago stashed away in a box in my basement. I spent hours reading and rereading them. When the week was finally over and we met back up at the Dragon Safari's offices, I was practically bursting at the seams with excitement. We were met in the reception area by a chubby, balding guy in his late 30s or early 40s. He introduced himself as Stanley Jurgison and led us back to his office, a bit farther down the hallway past the presentation room and through an imposing set of double doors that Stanley had to unlock using an electronic cipher. His office was plain, just a desk, a file cabinet, and a few chairs to sit in. He offered us something to drink. I declined. Carl, however, eagerly accepted a cup of joe. So, gentlemen, Stanley said, getting out of business. You're interested in taking a little trip, hmm? His eyebrows rose on his forehead and his lips curled upward in an inviting grin. We all nodded. Excellent. Stanley tapped his desk, and an area of the wall to his left flashed to life with the company logo. Would you like the modern package or the classical? Classical, I said immediately. Definitely classical, Vinny agreed. Carl shrugged. Stanley's grin almost turned into a smirk for a second, but it quickly returned to normal. Nodding, he tapped the desktop a few times, and the display shifted to show a collection of old-fashioned weapons from this presentation video. Now then, have any of you ever used a sword or bow before? You mean besides in Dungeons & Dragons, Carl quipped? Stanley really did smirk that time. Yeah, besides that, we all shook our heads. With a sigh, Stanley said, In that case, may I suggest you go with the modern package? The weapons are far easier to learn, use properly, and I cut him off. Classical, Stanley. He sighed again. Very well. With that... He turned around in his chair to the file cabinet and opened one of the drawers. He took a moment to rifle through a few folders, then turned back and slid a piece of paper across the desk toward each of us, along with a pen. This is a standard waiver of liability and insurance form. Part of your fee will cover medical treatment for injuries sustained during the expedition, but you agree to hold Dragon Safaris blameless for any permanent disability or death that may happen as a consequence of your participation. I immediately stiffened, feeling put off by the entire concept. But after a moment's thought, I realized it made sense. These dragon things were pretty big, and the trip would probably be dangerous. The liability insurance premiums alone would make it impossible for dragon safaris to stay in business if they didn't have some kind of waiver in place. Heck, I remember having to sign a waiver before riding on a roller coaster once. How is this any different? I signed the waiver and slid it back to him. He denied it to me, then to Carl and Vinny in turn as he accepted their signed papers as well. Now that's out of the way, Stanley said, his grin returning easily to his face. It consists of a medical evaluation, followed by two weeks of preparation and weapons training, then a two-day travel to Alcor 5. Our guides will do their best to find a dragon for you, but we cannot guarantee... Can't guarantee? You kidding? you got to be kidding me, Carl said. What the hell are you paying you for, then? Stanley's smile slipped. Your down payment will cover the cost of your training and the trip itself. The hunting fee is payable upon completion of your trip, assuming you find a dragon. If you do not, you owe nothing more. He drew a deep breath and added, I would add, however, 
that the reason the CAC disapproved Alcor 5 for colonization is the planet's large reptus population. We have yet to send an expedition that did not encounter one. Well, if it gets away before we can kill it, Finney inquired. My thoughts exactly. Stanley spread his hands in a helpless gesture. We can only promise the opportunity, sir. Finney nodded slowly, not looking pleased with that answer. Stanley was silent for a moment, as though he expected another question. Then, shrugging, he tapped his desktop again, and the display shifted. Here's the cost breakdown for the classic package. As you can see, the total cost is freaking ridiculous, Carl said. Stanley looked at him with a bemused expression. We're not only training you for two weeks, providing you with room and board for that time, and a pair of highly skilled guides for your journey, but we're sending you to another world 82 light years away. Those expenses add up quickly. Carl withered a little bit as Stanley's logic sank in. Is that the total cost or the cost for each of us? I asked, gesturing toward the calculations on the display screen. Total, Stanley replied, and I at least relaxed a little bit. Carl was right, it was a lot of money. But split three ways, it would be quite a bit easier to come up with. Don't worry, Carl. Vinny and I can help you out, I offered, preparing myself for the inevitable pushback. Carl was a proud guy, but he didn't make much money, and he hated when someone else mentioned that fact or even alluded to it. I was surprised, though, because he didn't fire back. He just nodded and said, Thanks, bro. He must have been as excited to do this as I was, though, as usual, it was impossible to tell from looking at him. In reality, Vinny was the money bags of our little group. His accounting business had been on fire lately, and he was really raking it in. He wouldn't tell us how much he earned these days, but it was obviously a lot. His house was paid off, and he had a great car, a sailboat, and a slip on the lake, and lots of designer clothes. Not that I was doing badly by any stretch of the imagination but he was definitely top dog among us, at least financially. So there really was never a concern about being able to afford the trip, but we had an unspoken rule, no mooching. Everyone chips in his fair share. It served as well over the years we were not about to cast that rule aside. So we've all ponied up as much as we could. Then he paid the lion's share. I covered most of the rest, and Carl finished it off. I could tell he was unhappy, both from being able to contribute so little and from parting with that much cash all at once. But he didn't say anything. All of a sudden, I was very proud to be his friend. Stanley's smile was quite a bit broader once we'd signed all the papers and transferred the funds for the down payment. Rubbing his hands together almost with glee, it appeared, he tapped his display control pad again, and the calendar appeared on the wall display. All right, let's see, he said as he paged through the weeks. Next opening is in two months. He looked from the wall display to us. Two months? And he exclaimed, you got to be kidding. Stanley shrugged apologetically. I'm sorry, sir. But as you can see, there's a large demand for our services and is growing every day. This time next year, you will be lucky to be able to book a year out. A lot can happen in two months, Stan, I said, also frowning. That's a lot of money. Ah, he replied. No need to worry about that, gentlemen. Your down payment is completely refundable up until three days before your training starts. No questions asked. That seemed fair enough. If waiting a week for the first appointment was difficult, waiting two months to actually get started was nearly torture. But eventually the time passed, and we all met up again, ready to get to it. Stanley met us in the reception area, and once more led us through the locked double doors. But this time, we went past his office, through several more twists and turns of the corridor, and finally to a, into a larger room that was set up as a dormitory. Half a dozen beds were spaced evenly along one wall, with lockers on the other wall opposite each bed. Two fit-looking people, a flaxen-haired woman and a dark-complected man, were waiting for us. Gentlemen, meet your instructors and guide to your adventure, Stanley said. 
Johan is a master of wilderness survival. He's worked with special forces and has led hunting expeditions of all varieties. Kimberly's training is in endurance events and the martial arts. There was a long silence. I could feel both sets of eyes scanning us, judging every little detail as Stanley made the introductions. It was not a comfortable feeling. Then Stanley cleared his throat, drawing every eye to himself. Right, I'll leave you in their capable hands. Best of luck, gentlemen. With that, Stanley smiled and left us. Pick a rack, Johan said in a deep baritone. You got 30 minutes to get settled in, and then we'll begin your training. Then he and Kimberly also left. Vince whistled softly as the door slid shut behind them. Oh man, I just found the only rack I don't want to rest my head on. Did you see her? Carl snorted. <laughs> Whatever, man, she's a butterface. Then he looked at him, a perplexed expression on his face. Huh? I couldn't help but chuckle. Jesus, Finney, you know. Nice body, but her face! Yeah, you might have to brown bag it if you hooked up with her, Carl added, gesturing as though he was putting on a hat that covered his entire head. We both laughed. Finney flushed and groveled something under his breath and set about unpacking. True to their word, Kimberly and Johan returned after half an hour. To the second. They only paused in the dormitory long enough to look us over and gesture for us to follow before they turned and walked away. The first stop was the medical exam. Three men in white lab coats waited for us in an exact room that was the same. An exam room that was the same as every other one that I'd been in except that it had five beds separated by sliding curtains. For an hour, they ran the standard battery of tests. Height, weight, blood pressure, blood work, reflexes, hernia, eyes and ears. The usual. By the end of the hour, I was about ready to ask for a refund. Then Johan and Kimberly returned and the docs released us to their custody again. They led us around a few more corners and through a wide set of double doors into the armory. Things were looking up. Just as in the video presentation, the armory was filled with protective gear for every part of the body. Up close, though, it wasn't as impressive as it had been on camera. When Johan prompted us to try on a breastplate, I immediately hefted one. It weighed maybe two kilograms tops, and it looked like something I could break over my knee with ease. That wouldn't do at all. Really, dude? Plastic? I flicked the edge of the breastplate with my fingertip as I said that, and was less than impressed with the insignificant little tapping sound that it made. Wasn't prepared for Kimberly's snort. That's not plastic, she said as she snatched the breastplate out of my hands. Without another word, she placed it on a mannequin that stood in the center of the room. Then she went to the next room. She returned a few seconds later with a pistol, which she pointed at the breastplate and fired. The plasma ball from the pistol impacted the breastplate and exploded into a large burst of heat and flame. When it cleared, the breastplate was still in the mannequin, intact. The only sign that Kimberly had fired was a small scorch mark in the center of the armor piece. Whoa, she smirked. Whoa is right. This is high tensile composite material, the same stuff the Marines use for the armor plating on their assault vehicles. It'll take a hell of a beating, so you don't have to. If the dragon shoots a plasma pistol at us, Carl said. Kimberly eyed him appraisingly for a moment before answering. It's also effective against punctures. Not as good at protecting you against brute force trauma, though, for obvious reasons. With that, she looked at Johan with a raised eyebrow. He nodded and looked from Carl to Vinny and then me. Any other questions, gentlemen? No one said anything. He clapped his hands together and grinned. All right, let's get you suited up. The armor was easier to put on than I thought it would be. Parts of it really weren't all that much different from my football pads back in high school. The hardest part was getting measured properly and finding the right size parts. And once that was done, I was fully dressed in just a few minutes. I was surprised to find it was also easier to move around in than I first envisioned. The armor was snug, but relatively lightweight. To test it out, I ran a place for a minute, then did some jumping jacks and lunges. 
The army armor hardly interfered with my movements at all. Truth be told, it was almost as easy to move around in as jeans and a t-shirt. Almost. Vinny and Carl were waiting when I returned from getting dressed out. They looked completely different in their armor, more rugged, stronger. It was just the way they carried themselves. Carl tended to slouch normally, but in his armor he stood straight and tall. Vinny's normally joking grin was less pronounced, more serious. It was as though, once donning the armor, they had begun settling into the hero's role. From their reactions to my entrance, I supposed maybe I had done the same, just like old times around the gaming table. Johan looked us over, carefully checking the various straps of the armor pieces. Finally, as I was beginning to feel uncomfortable, he straightened and nodded. Okay, let's get to work. He made a small gesture to Kimberly, and she led us through another doorway on the far end of the armory. Just as in the video, the two weapon storage areas were large and filled to bursting with all manner of violent tools. Kimberly led us th swiftly through the first room, not bothering to point out the selection of firearms. As we walked through, I thought for a moment that perhaps Stanley had been right, and maybe we should take some rifles. It sure wouldn't be. Then I stepped into the second room and lost track of that thought. The classical weapons room brought an instant grin to my face. Swords hung from racks on the wall to my right. Spears were mounted in front of me. Axes were catty-cornered to the swords, and bows were opposite them. I rubbed my hands together in anticipation. This is what I'd always fantasized about during all those gaming sessions. Screw that rifle bit. If I was going to kill a dragon, I was going to do it with a sword and a spear. Of course, it was easy to say that. But over the next two weeks, we all learned just how difficult accomplishing that goal was going to be. The rest of that day and the entirety of the first week is devoted almost exclusively to learning the weapons. Each morning, Johan and Kimberly woke us at 5 a.m. for an hour of calisthenics. Then, after a half hour of breakfast, Kimberly led us through two hours with the sword, followed by another two with the axe. We broke for an hour and a half lunch, and then Kimberly got us going again with sessions on the bow and the spear. Around 5 p.m., we had dinner. Then, in the evening, we got to spar. At first, sparring seemed silly to me. After all, dragons can't use swords and spears, so it wasn't like we were going to get into a duel with somebody. But by the third day, I began to understand that sparring sharpened the lessons Kimberly taught us. It's one thing to listen to her or to shadow box against a target dummy. It was another thing entirely to react to a real person's moves and try to counter with my own. Obviously, a week of training, no matter how intense, is hardly sufficient to make anyone proficient, but the best I could say was that by the end of the week, I wasn't in danger of stabbing myself by accident. And I realized to my surprise that I vastly preferred the axe to the sword. It was simpler, more straightforward. See something. Hit something. Hard. It was the same with the spear. I could throw one of those a good distance and stab with it. But shooting a bow, I snapped the bowstring against my forearm more often than not. I was glad to put the bow down at the end of each session. Carl, on the other hand, seemed to really love the sword. One blade in particular, lighter than the broadsword I had tried to use, appeals to him. In our sparring sections, he literally danced circles around me, flicking me with that thing twice for each swing I tried to take at him. Vinny had trouble with the melee weapons, but he took to the bow naturally. By day five, he was hitting the target fairly consistently. He had a lot less luck hitting on Kimberly, though. He tried his best, using all the good lines that work so well in the bars, but he never got from her anything more than a thorough beating in the sparring ring. Much as I loved him, though, I had to admit that Vinny was never good at taking a hint, so he kept on trying despite the fact that Kimberly was becoming visibly more and more annoyed each day. Finally, Johan pulled him aside on the morning of the fourth day. I didn't hear the conversation, but whatever Johan said, Vinny returned to the group looking positively chastened, and he never tried to hit on Kimberly again. He immediately got a lot better with weapons, though. 
Vinny's little romantic failures aside, it was safe to say that by the end of the week, we were all feeling a little bit cocky, or at least we acted like it. Not so deep down, I thank the Lord there was no possibility of getting into real melee with any people because we get our butts kicked. All the same, it felt good. I felt like I had accomplished something, and I found myself walking back to the dorm with a bit of my old varsity football swagger. Couldn't remember the last time I'd walked that way. Johan took over the lead spot again as we began the second training week. Kimberly still led weapons training sessions in the evenings, but the days were filled with lectures. Alcor 5's geography, weather patterns, known reptus nesting sites, reptus anatomy, our planned arrival coordinates, basic first aid, basic wilderness survival, emergency procedures. Johan covered it all. There was a lot to absorb in a short time. Before I realized it, the second week was over. It was time. The evening before we departed, Johan showed us one last presentation. This was no well-produced video stream like in the sales presentation, no slides filled with data or descriptions of something or other. It was just a series of images that streamed slowly across the display. Each image showed a man, or sometimes a woman, who suffered from varying degrees of injury until near the end of the photo stream it was obvious the person in the picture was dead. I swallowed to keep from getting sick as the pictures became more and more gruesome. Next to me, Vinny squirmed in his seat. He looked a little bit green himself. Carl was stoic, as usual. Johan cleared his throat, and I was happy to turn my attention away from the pictures and onto him. Dragon Safaris has been in business for two and a half years, and that time over 500 sportsmen and adventurers have hunted the Reptus. 35 received serious injuries that required hospitalization once they returned. Four died. He paused for effect, looking at each of us in the eye for a moment. They died because they didn't heed their training and because they didn't listen to their guides on the trip. They tried to hot dog it and paid the price. The Reptus is a powerful beast and they can kill you in a second, armor or no, if you don't respect it. Kimberly walked over from the small cabin against the wall opposite the door and pulled out three spiral-bound booklets. She handed one to each of us and said, This is a full description of the medical policy associated with your trip. It also has space for you to write down emergency contact data for your next of kin should anything happen to you. In the back is a pre-prepared template for last will and testament. We only require the contact information, but I would highly encourage you to make out a will if you haven't already. An attorney and notary will be available in the morning before we leave to officially register the will if you wish. Are there any last questions? Johan asked. I had a million questions, but none that really pertain to the immediate situation at hand, so I shook my head no. Johan nodded. That's it then. Get a good night's sleep. Tomorrow and the day after will be very taxing, so you better charge up your batteries while you can. It was easy for him to say. Back in the dorm, we read through the medical policy. It was surprisingly comprehensive, actually. I guess Dragon Safaris didn't want to leave itself open to any medical viability. Then, after filling out the contact data and naming each other as beneficiaries in our respective wills, we hit the sack. Anxiety kept me awake for a long time that night. I lay there, staring at the ceiling, and suddenly began second-guessing the entire venture. What in the hell was I thinking? I was going to travel 82 light years to pick a flight with a, the flying lizard the size of a bus? And I lost my senses completely? I found myself trembling and had to suppress a sudden urge to get up out of bed and run home and to hell with the whole thing. Then I looked over at my buddies in their beds and found them lying awake, same as I was. Dude, we gotta be freaking crazy, Vinny said into the silence. I burst out laughing and kept on laughing until I fell asleep. The next morning, bright and early, we suited up into our armor and selected our weapons. I selected an axe and four throwing spears that were designed to collapse down into a harness on my back. Carl equipped himself the same, except that he took a sword. Vinny took a bow and a long-bladed knife. 
As we filed out of the armory and down the corridor to the transport room, Kimberly waved a device of some sort over our steer pip tips and arrowheads. What are you doing? I asked. The missile weapons all have explosive charges in their tips to give them a bit more punch, she replied. This device activates them. Can they go off? Carl asked, suddenly looking worried. She shook her head. Final arming occurs in flight. It runs on an accelerometer in the spear or the arrow itself. Even if you dropped it onto its tip, that wouldn't be enough to set it off the charge. That made him feel a little bit better. But it sure would have made me feel a little bit better. It sure would have been nice to learn about that little feature earlier. For their part, Johan and Kimberly weren't going the classical route. They each had a plasma rifle under, slung over their shoulders and pistols on their hips along with knives similar to Vinny's. The plan was for them to not get involved in the actual fight with the Reptos unless absolutely necessary. As a result, last resort, if it all went to hell. Given that, I suppose it made sense for them to pack as much firepower as possible. The transport room was the same sterile laboratory-looking room from the information video. The portal itself was distinctively simple-looking. Eight feet across, it looked like a plain metal hoop with some inset lighting. Of course, appearances can be deceptive. That was doubly true in this case. During our two-month wait, I'd done a little bit of research on space portal technology. That thing ring was about to direct hundreds of millions of kilojoules of energy and create an Einstein-Rosen bridge. Unfreaking believable a control station was mounted on the wall near the doorway. A technician in a light blue jumpsuit with the Dragon Safari's logo on the breast punched in a few commands and the lights in the portal lit up. Just as in the video, a vortex slowly began to form in the center of the ring. Gradually, the vortex grew larger until it filled the ring. Then, right on cue, came the flash of light. It took a moment to blink away the purplish spots from my eyes. I cursed myself for a fool the entire while. I had known that flash was coming, after all. Finally, my vision cleared enough to see through the ring. It opened into a field atop a hill that overlooked rolling terrain. The sky was pinkish blue and mottled with puffy white clouds. The wind was blowing. I could tell that from the way the long leaves in the nearby copse of trees swayed. But not even a hint of a breeze came through the transparent transport room. I looked at the technician. He no doubt could see the quizzical expression on my face as he chuckled and said, The portal sets up a semi-permeable boundary with a destination planet. Only items with a field that matches the portal can pass through. He pointed at the Dragon Safari's logo on each piece of armor we wore, and on each of our weapons. The dragon's eyes and the logos had begun to glowing red. As long as you've got one of those still working, you'll be able to get back. That's good to know, I said a bit breathlessly. Right, Johan said, clapping his hands together. Let's move out. Remember, stay close to Kimberly and me. With that, he stepped through the portal. He seemed to elongate for a second, then he was through looking the same as he always had. Kimberly followed right on his heels and experienced the same effect. Carl, Vinny, and I exchanged long looks. I swallowed, even though I didn't really need to, since my mouth was suddenly dry. I hoped I didn't look as nervous as I felt. Vinny and Carl sure managed to maintain a calm demeanor. Well, here goes nothing, Carl said, as he stepped through the portal. Vinny went next. I brought up the rear. Arriving on Alcor 5 was a shock. The air was hot, thick, very sticky, and filled with unfamiliar scents. The ground was spongy, almost like walking on astroturf, and I immediately felt lighter. That made sense, considering Alcor 5 had only about 85% of normal Earth gravity, but it's one theory to expect something intellectually, and another to experience it firsthand. I'd never been off-world before. Up until this point, a thing weighed what it weighed, no matter what the science textbook said. No longer. Johan wasted no time. He immediately turned west and set off down the hill. Supposedly there was a reptus nest somewhere over in that direction. 
We all fell in line behind him, first Vinny, then Carl, then me, and finally Kimberly, who took up a position at the back of our little troop. As we walked away, I looked back over my shoulder just in time to see the portal close behind us. The technician would open it again in exactly 48 hours, and then again every four hours after that for three days in case we were delayed for some reason. Knowing that didn't steal, not stop the feeling of finality as the portal winked out of existence, though. I swallowed again. The next several hours consisted of little more than walking and talking in the alien, ta walking and taking in the alien scenery. It was like going to the zoo for the first time. Everywhere I looked, there was a new plant to be discovered, and more rarely, a new animal. Creatures scampered through the grass ahead of us, or as we moved into a forest, up and down tree trunks on either side. Some of the creatures had fur, but most appeared scaled. Each was fascinatingly unique, and Johan often had to pull us away to keep us moving. There was one surprise, though. How come there are no birds? Vinny asked. I blinked. I hadn't even noticed their lack. Though now that Vinny mentioned it, Alcor 5 was quite a bit quieter than I expected. I'd gotten used to hearing the occasional bird caller like back on Earth, but here there was nothing. No birds here, Kimberly replied. The Rethuses would eat them all. We stopped briefly for food at local noon. As we ate, Johan pulled out his navigation tablet and checked it. We're getting close, he said. How much further? Finney asked. He looked nervous. For that matter, I was beginning to get pretty keyed up myself. Johan shrugged. Best estimate is another five kilometers or so. The nests are never exactly where the scouting reports put them, though, so be alert. You remember what to look for? We all nodded. Raise ground like a hill or a mountain peak, Carl said. Fallen trees in a cluster near the top and a smell like ammonia. All I know is this sucker better have good treasure, Vinny said, grinning mischievously. A couple thousand gold pieces and a magic sword or two, right, guys? He laughed, but his mirth quickly faded as no one else joined in. Kimberly looked at him askance and rolled her eyes. Johan was less gentle. Standing, he pointed at Vinny sternly and said in a voice that was nearly a growl, This isn't a game. Get your head out of your ass and back to reality, Vinny. You're liable to get somebody killed. Vinny shriveled under their disapproving looks. After a minute, he nodded, but I could tell he was a bit pissed off. We set off again a few minutes later, expecting to reach the nest within an hour or so. But three hours later, we still hadn't seen any sign. Where is it? I grumped after we passed yet another promising hill that ended up not being the spot. Carl shrugged. Johan pulled out his navigation tablet again. Any moment now, he said. Just then, I heard a loud roar from somewhere ahead, and I froze. Beside me, Vinny breathed. Was that? Sure was, Johan said. His tone considerably more cheerful than it had been a moment before. He turned to face us, and he grinned. I'd never seen him crack a smile before. You gents ready? Before we could respond one way or the other, the roar sounded again, considerably louder than the first time. Then a rhythmic beating sound intruded into the forest's sudden silence. A shadow passed overhead as something huge blocked out the sun for a moment, then yet another roar forced me to clasp my hands over my ears. It was deafening. The dragon flew away to the north. It was easy to tell which direction it was going from watching the shadow's movement. I tried to move, but I couldn't. That thing was big. Then Vinny sprinted away running at top speed after the dragon and whooping at the top of his lungs. Son of a... Get back here! Johan shouted. Kimberly said something very unladylike at the same time. Then we all took off running after Vinny. Problem was, Vinny had been an all-state sprinter in high school. He could outrun every wide receiver on the football team, but he hated football, so he went out for track instead. He got an athletic scholarship to college. And though he wasn't in the same shape now that he had been then, hell, none of us were... He still placed near the top of our age range in running events. He quickly left us behind, and before long, all we had to follow him by was the sound of breaking twigs and branches and his loud whooping. 
Finally, after several long minutes of chasing after him, we burst out into the woods, into a broad meadow, and pulled up short. There, crouched about fifty or sixty meters away in the middle of a meadow, was the dragon. It was huge, far larger than I expected, maybe forty meters from head to tail. It sat atop its lunch, a creature the size of a horse that lay pinned beneath the talons of the dragon's front legs. Though maybe legs was the wrong word, since though the dragon supported itself on them, they were also part of its wings. As we entered the meadow, the dragon bit a piece off the flesh, the size of a teenager from the creature, and began wolfing it down. My God, I breathed in between panting breaths. Then I noticed Vinny standing a few paces in front of us. He stood perfectly still for a moment. Then his chest expanded as he drew deep and knocked an arrow. Vinny drew back on the bowsprit. Stop, Kimberly explained, and she leapt toward him, but it was, she was too late. As the pair of them tumbled onto the ground a heartbeat after he loosed the arrow. I watched the arrow fly straight and true toward the dragon. As it flew, I praised Vinny in my mind for his marksmanship. Then it struck the dragon in its side just below where the wing flesh merged with its hip, and a flash of flame erupted as the explosive charge detonated. The dragon roared, and the meat in its mouth flew out as though spat. It staggered and turned toward us. For a moment, its eyes met mine, or at least I thought they did. Then it roared again, and with a push from its hind legs and a flap of its wings, it hurtled itself toward us. Get down! Johan shouted. In my peripheral vision, I saw him raising his plasma rifle as I dove to the ground. Then the dragon passed overhead and pulled straight up, flapping its wings to accelerate itself vertically. His tail whipped around as the beast flew past and struck Johan before he got his rifle to his shoulder. He flew backwards and landed back among the trees somewhere. I rolled over onto my back. I looked, looking straight up, I could see the dragon winging its way upward until it leveled off several hundred meters above us. For a moment, I thought it was going to flee. Then it banked around and dove. It's coming back, I shouted and bounded to my feet. Into the woods, Kimberly ordered. She didn't have to say it twice. We hustled beneath the cover of the trees, making it there a heartbeat before the dragon swooped down, its rear talons skimming the ground in an attempt to grab one of us. And it flapped upwards again, roaring as it went. Holy cow, Carl said, his voice trembling. Personally, I would have used a stronger word, but Carl had this thing about profanity. We should be safe here, Kimberly said. She peered upward, no doubt trying to follow the dragon's movement through the forest canopy. Then, after a minute or so, she turned venomous eyes onto Vinny. You jackass, what the hell were you thinking? Vinny looked taken aback. What are you talking about? We came to hunt that thing, didn't we? Kimberly drew herself up. I could see her muscles tense, and for a moment I thought she was going to hit him. Then she breathed a curse and turned away, stalking over toward Yo where Johan they sprouted on the ground. What? Vinny said, looking from me to Carl in confusion. Dude, I said. Combined tactics. Teamwork. Remember what we talked about for all of last week? I... Kimberly cut off whatever Vinny was going to say with a terse request for assistance. I hurried over and so did Carl. Vinny followed at a distance. When I got to Kimberly's side, I had to bite back a curse of my own. Johan was unconscious and his breastplate was caved in on his right side. Blood seeped slowly out from beneath the armor, and a trickle flowed out of the side of his mouth. Oh no, I said as I squatted down next to Johan. We'll be okay. Kimberly shook her head. Not if we don't get him to medical attention. She drew a deep breath and stood. This expedition is over. We're heading back to the portal coordinates right now. Of all people, Carl was the one who raised an objection. Like hell, he said. We paid good money to come here, and I wasn't asking. Kimberly growled. As she glared at Carl, the image of her taking us down with the ease of a spoiled child stomping on an errant tail came to mind. A memory of our first event, a sparring tra training. That had been humbling, to say the least. Now make yourselves useful, she went on, and go find some long sticks that we can use to make a litter. 
That took a bit of doing, but after a little while we found enough fallen limbs to make something. It required the use of our only tent to make something to lay Johan on between the limbs, but after a bit of work we had a litter. This probably would have been faster if the dragon hadn't flown overhead five or six more times and distracted us with its roaring each time. Moving Johan onto the litter was in one sense easier and another more difficult than I thought it would be. He weighed less here, but whatever advantage that gave me and Carl in lifting him was more than made up for that by the fact that we had to worry about exacerbating his injuries if we did something wrong, getting him into position. But eventually, we got him properly settled. Johan's navigation tablet was crushed, but fortunately Kimberly had one of her own. As soon as we had Johan on the litter, she gestured for us to follow her and set off toward the portal site. Watching her move out, I was torn between knowing that heading back was the right thing to do and desiring, desiring to stay and finish what we started. Though truth to tell, after seeing the dragon up close, a large part of me had no desire to ever come near that thing again. So after only a moment's hesitation, I hefted the handles of Johan's litter and followed Kimberly. It was slow going. The litter was heavy, making it necessary for us to swap out dragging it. The rolling terrain, so picturesque not so long ago, became the source of many curses as we struggled to maneuver the litter up and down the various hills. By the time the sun set in the eastern sky, something that was exceedingly off-putting as I stopped to think about it, we had only gone a few kilometers. I flopped to the ground. My legs and shoulders trembled from the day's exertions. My mouth was dry from thirst and the growls from my stomach were almost as loud as another roar echoed through the woods, much softer than before, but more distant. Still, it sent a shiver up my spine. Jesus, that thing was big, Carl said as he sat down next to me. Kimberly squatted down next to the litter to examine Johan. After a moment, she looked over at Carl and replied, I've never seen a reptus that large. They normally top out around 25 meters in length. So we really had found a monster. For some reason, hearing that made me feel a little bit better about leaving. How's he looking? She shrugged. He's hanging in there, but his breathing's getting worse. Over to the side, away from the rest of us, Vinny sat down silently. He hadn't said a word since we left the scene of our encounter with the dragon, and I wasn't like him. You okay, buddy? He looked at me, and I was shocked to see tears in his eyes. I'm sorry, you guys, he said, his voice breaking. I screwed this whole thing up. Yeah, you sure did, Kimberly stood from her position and glared at him hard. Vinny's lips compressed, and for a second I thought he was going to fire back at her. Then his shoulders slumped, and he hung his head. Jesus, Candy, Kimberly, he made a mistake. He didn't intend... Kimberly cut me off. He didn't intend? He didn't a damn what he intended. Look what happened because of him. She pointed toward Johan and glanced at me for a few seconds. Then she turned and stomped away, very quickly moving out of sight behind a cluster of trees. A long silence followed that was punctuated by soft sobs coming from Vinny. I glanced over at Carl and saw him chewing on his lip the way I, he did when he was contemplating something that troubled him. I felt the same way. I wanted to let Vinny off the hook, but it was hard to deny Kimberly's words. Abruptly, Carl stood up. I'm going to go get some wood for a fire. That left me and Vinny alone. I had no idea what to say, so I voiced the first thing that came to mind. Could be worse, brother. Vinny looked at me. His eyes were red, his cheeks wet with tears. How? I gestured toward the sky and managed as light a tone as I could. Could be raining. Vinny's eyes widened incredulously and his jaw dropped. For once, it seemed, he had no comeback. We sat there for a moment, mutually speechless. Then we both burst out laughing. A long, throaty, therapeutic set of guffaws that left us both panting and breathing for breath and wiping our eyes. Guinea, Carl came back just then, carrying an armload of branches and twigs. He looked askance at us as he sat the firewood down over to the side of our little gathering spot. So funny. 
I couldn't help it. I started laughing again. Then he joined in immediately. The mildly offended expression on Carl's face as he sniffed and went about gathering, getting the fire set up was priceless. My chuckles subsided after a moment, and I got up to help Carl. Before long, we had a merry little fire going. And just in time, too, because the sunset was a lot quicker than I figured it would be. The growing gloom of twilight soon settled in and the temperature began to drop, but we were nice and comfy around our fire. Until Kimberly came back. What the hell are you doing? She thundered as she walked into view. Put that fire out. What? But Carl began, but she bowled right over him. Christ, didn't you listen to anything last week? She snarled as she kicked dirt onto the fire. The Reptus has extremely keen vision. It'll see even a small fire from a dozen kilometers away, I finished. You said not to light a fire before the hunt because it would make it wary or induce it to move to another area. The hunt's down and done now, so who cares? She glared at me for a moment, her, her foot raised in mid-kick. Then she sighed, nodded, and lowered her foot slowly to the ground. You're right. But what we didn't tell you, because most of the time it doesn't matter, is that an enraged Reptus will sometimes see a fire and decide to attack. No one knows why. Some have hypothesized they've come to associate flames with hunting parties. Across the fire pit for me, Vinny began choking on a swig of water he had just swallowed. What? Kimberly shrugged. It's up to you if you want to keep it. I'll just leave it over there. She made a vague gesture towards the woods, now pitch black in the moonless light. Three of us traded glances. Then, our decision made, we wasted no time in helping her smother the fire. It was a long, chilly, uncomfortable night. We slept huddled together in a group surrounding Johann's litter. Or at least we tried to sleep. I probably got an hour of actual quality shut-eye. The rest of the night I spent struggling to ignore the cold or pretending to be comfortable while longing for the relative luxury of the tent that we'd used to make the litter. Finally, dawn came. No one hesitated to get up, despite the fact that we were unable to rest properly. The promise of a return to the luxuries of modern living was all the motivation we needed to get up and get moving as swiftly as possible. Firm resolve and determination to cover ground quickly faded, though, before the onslaught of sore muscles, a heavy load, and difficult terrain. Morning turns at noon, and we barely made eight kilometers. The portal was still another fifteen kilometers away, give or take. There's no way we'd get there before nightfall. On the bright side, Vinny huffed as he took his turn dragging the litter. The tech wasn't planning to open wasn't planning to open the portal again until tomorrow anyway. That was true enough, but it wasn't much comfort. It would have been nice to not have more walking to look forward to in the morning. We made camp that night in a valley that was tucked between a trio of hills. A small stream ran through the valley and provided a supply of fresh water, once it was purified, of course. But then there was another reason. Kimberly chose it, one that made me forget all the rotten things I'd thought about her in the past. We'll build a fire tonight, she announced shortly after we collapsed onto the turf. She grinned as we looked at her, no doubt seeing the complete surprise I felt etched onto all of our faces. Whatever she saw it made her chuckle. She gestured toward the three hills and said, These hills will shield the light from Reptus's eyes unless he's almost directly overhead. And if he's there, we got bigger problems than a campfire, Carl finished. Exactly. Besides, she said, glancing at Johan, Johan good it'll do Johan good to have more warmth tonight. And so, when I woke up the next morning, I felt one hell of a lot better. It's amazing the assistance of a bit of warmth will give toward getting a good night's sleep. And of course, a good night's sleep can make all the difference. I'd once heard a phrase, sleep is a weapon. That morning, I felt the truth of that statement as I felt recharged, ready and eager to take on the world. Looking around at my friends, I could tell that Vinnie and Carl felt, if not totally ready to go, at least less beat down than they had been the previous day. By Kimberly's calculations, we would likely reach the portal coordinates a bit before noon local time. 
well after the first planned portal opening, but only a half hour or so before the second. Perfection. When we emerged from the forest a couple kilometers from the hill where the portal would open, and especially when we began trudging toward it, my spirits soared. We'd made it. In a very few minutes, the portal would open. We'd all return to Earth. The very first thing I planned to do was get a hot chocolate. The others wore large grins as they, too, no doubt, contemplated their return to modern luxury and what to do when they got home. Got home. So naturally, things chose that particular moment to fall apart completely. I had gotten ahead of Carl, who was pulling the litter, and turned around to say something to him. My words stuck in my throat, though, as I focused on the sky behind him. There, winging swiftly toward us, no more than a kilometer away, was the dragon. I raised my hand to point at it and opened my mouth to scream a warning, but the distant, though still thunderous, roar from the beast reached us before I could say a word. Everyone froze in place. Oh, no, then he breathed. He turned his head slightly to look at me, and only me. It was almost as though he couldn't physically bring himself to look at the approaching creature, so he looked at me instead. It pained me not to be able to offer comfort this time. It's coming, I said, in as close to a matter-of-fact tone as I could muster. The dragon was about three-quarters of a kilometer away now. The tree line was about half a kilometer away. We would never make it. Spread out, Kimberly ordered. I looked her way and saw that she had unslung her plasma rifle and was checking his charge status. She did not have a hopeful expression on her face. Take what cover you can when it attacks and watch your ammo. Only take shots you're sure of. She probably meant that for Vinny more than Carl and me. Nonetheless, I noticed Carl pulling a spear out of his back harness. I did the same and pressed the control to extend it to its full length. Then I moved a bit away from the others and waited. It wasn't a long wait. The dragon swooped in, issuing a deeper, more throaty roar than it had in the past. One of Vinny's arrows struck it in the left shoulder, and the roar became more of a shriek. Its shoulder dipped and it turned it into a bank toward Vinny. Then a ball of plasma from Kimberly's rifle struck it in the belly. For a moment, I thought maybe the one-two punch of arrow and plasma rifle would be enough to finish the beast off. Wishful thinking. It just made the dragon mad. The beast quickly righted itself and dove toward the center of our little group. I hit the dirt and saw Carl hurl his spear upwards before my senses were obscured by wind-blown grass, the sound of beating wings, and the whooshing sound of the dragon's tail flailing through the air where I was just standing. I saw a thud announce the dragon's momentary landing. Then a high-pitched shriek of terror and pain rang out. Kimberly! I boosted myself onto my hands and knees in time to see the dragon toss his head and see Kimberly, who had apparently taken into its maw, fly through the air like a thrown-away trinket before landing in a heap. Then the dragon kicked itself airborne again. As it flew upwards, I was gratified to see three small trails of smoke streaming from its body. Well, that positive feeling faded quickly as it became clear that the wounds weren't slowing the dragon down much. We had a moment's respite at least, so I rushed over to where Kimberly lay. She was a mess. Several of the dragon's teeth had penetrated her armor, and she had a number of bleeding puncture wounds. Her left leg was twisted beneath her at an awkward angle, and she was not moving. But she still breathed and had a pulse. It was weak and thready, but it was there. There wasn't time to tend to her, though. Here it comes again, shouted Vinny. Every fiber of my being shouted for me to run. Staying here out in the open like this was foolishness. The dragon would swoop in and take us out, and there was nothing we could do about it. To stay and fight with certain death, to flee, though, I could make it. Odds were not great, but it was possible. If I waited until the last moment, when Vinny and Carl engaged it, shame filled me, bearing the urge to run beneath its weight and smothering it. I would not abandon my friends to their fate. This was it, this was it, but at least I'd face it like a man. 
Thanks to my two best friends in the world, I saw fear in their faces, but on top of that, a steely resolve. This is why we'd come. After all this, nothing would intimidate us again. Shame gave way to adrenaline-laced euphoria as the dragon banked around and began his dive toward us. Not realizing what I was doing, I thrust my steer up into the air and issued a roar of my own. Guttural. Emanating from something primal within me, it felt as though that roar itself would knock the creature from the sky. To either side, I heard Carl and Vinny taking up the roar as well. Together, we made a harmony of defiance, taunting the dragon in all its brutal beauty. Bring it on, foul beast! Bring it on! The dragon headed straight toward us. Toward me. Our eyes met, and just as they had in the meadow a day and a half earlier, its maw opened as it streaked closer. It was death on the wing come from me. Part of my mind still screamed at me to duck, to run, but its screams went unanswered as the primal force within me refused to let loose its hold. The dragon's tongue ran over its teeth and its mouth opened even wider to scoop me up, a tasty morsel ripe for the eating. Screaming a curse at the approaching death, I drew back and threw my spear with every bit of power I could muster. I'm told the salespeople at Dragon Safari still talk about that throw. How my spear entered the dragon's mouth and exploded in its throat. How its dive turned into a crash. How it impacted the ground and slid toward me, come to a halt less than a meter from where I stood. How neither I nor my friends moved a centimeter the whole time. I'm told they call it heroic. Epic. A feat never to be repeated. How one man brought down the mightiest Reptus Volans ever recorded with a single throw of his spear. I wouldn't know. I've never gone back there to find out. Carl, Vinny, and I still get together for the ball game, or for a while to try to meet girls, or these days to watch our sons play football, or for the other things the guys do together. We often talk about old times over a beer or two, but we never talk about that trip to Alcor 5. What is there to say? We went there. We experienced it. We survived it, even though in the end our guides did not. It's part of what made us into the men we came to be, but it's also the past and we've learned to focus on the present and look to the future. But sometimes, before I turn in for the night, I look up the wall of my study, at the horns of the mighty dragon, where they are mounted for posterity, and I recall the primal song we sang together in that field on the faraway world. And I smile. Okay, so that's the story. Like I said before, it's been several years since I wrote it. And <laughs> as has tended to be the case in these, when I'm reading to you, uh, it's been a few years since I really looked at it. Um, I still really like the concept, and I really like how the story came out. Um, I would quote uh, Dean, the guy, one of the guys who runs the workshop up in uh, Oregon, though. Uh, some setting would be nice, right? especially at the beginning when we're talking about the offices and Vinny and Carl. I never describe Vinny and Carl at all. I never describe protagonists. I never even tell you the protagonist's name for crying out loud. Um, only in, in the descriptions and grounding grounding in the characters uh, settings and attitudes it could be a whole lot deeper and uh, I would definitely make their story more engrossing it would also make it longer maybe not it wouldn't have to be too much longer I mean probably a couple thousand words really would do the trick um, but I still think it's a cool story uh, I don't know you tell me what you thought of it uh, hopefully you liked it if you do tell me if you don't Tell me that too. Yeah, tell me why. That's cool. Uh, it's all about. Uh, I'm all about talking, and be interesting to hear what you guys have to say. Um, and of course, if you do like it, 
go pick up a copy, right? Uh, my web store is at ssnstorytelling.com that slash shop. Uh, then you can get everything that I've written uh, in paperback or ebook and audiobook, the ones that are available and able to be purchased uh, there. Um, and I get the most amount of money if you buy them there from me as opposed to someplace else. Of course, you can all find my stuff on Amazon and Barnes Noble and Kobo and all the other places too. Well, as we discussed before, I prefer to get more money. So go to my site. Or you know, come to the author site, michaelkingswood.com. You can uh, leave some tips there if you want to do that. Um, throw some crypto or something my way. That's cool. And join the mailing list if you want to know when new releases are coming out. Um, put your email address in. You know, Sign up on my newsletter and I will let you know. Um, occasionally I'll do little freebies to newsletter sign up people too. Uh, just to, yeah, because I like you guys and want you to be happy. What I don't do with newsletter is spam anybody. It's been like what almost two months since I sent anybody anything to the newsletter people because I don't have anything to say. You know, some authors are like, yeah, I know, I talk to my newsletter every week. I'm like, what in the hell are you going to say every week? And if it was me, that would annoy me and cause me to say, piss off to the person who sent me something every week. So basically, unless there's something going on, I don't send much out. Like new releases, sales, cool things happening. I want you to know about that's about all I do for the newsletter. Um, or just drop me an email, say hi. But no matter what, subscribe, to, you know, tell everybody, uh, spread the word. I would appreciate it very much. Um, that's what I got for this one. It's right about an hour, so it looks like I was uh, pretty close to my guesstimate on this. Uh, so I'll let you go with it at this. Uh, have a good week, and I'll talk to you next Monday. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. That'll do it for this episode of Storytime with Michael Kingswood. Come by my website, michaelkingswood.com, for information about my work. There you can sign up for a newsletter where I tell about new releases and special promotions. Guaranteed to be spam-free. Or just drop me an email at michael at michaelkingswood.com and I look forward to hearing from you. If you really like my stuff and feel like giving me a buck, drop by Patreon and sign up to be a patron. As always, if you like today's story, be sure to leave a review on your favorite online bookstore and share this podcast with all your friends. This production is copyright Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.